In therapy, radically genuine is reached when one is being truly authentic, communicating freely and openly as equals. The Radically Genuine podcast strives to do just that. We will question areas of mental health, culture, societal norms, and what is truly needed to improve the lives of others. Dr. Roger McFillin is a clinical psychologist and board certified in behavioral and cognitive psychology. He is the executive director of the Center for Integrated Behavioral Health in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. These apps like Kuth or the other ones that Sean says are probably in development and are being pushed, they are not here to benefit your mental health. It's a crock of shit. They are here to keep you attached to their platform. Welcome to the Radically Genuine Podcast. I'm Dr. Roger McPhil, and I want to thank everybody for the five-star ratings. This really helps. So I do please ask our loyal listeners to please just pause and click five stars, whether it's Spotify, whether it's Apple. Even if you can write a quick comment, we really do appreciate it. We're, we're discussing issues that most people around the globe are not talking about. And that includes today's topic. So anything you can do to help spread the message, subscribe, share, all this is helpful. Today's podcast, we're back into the studio. I welcome Sean and Kelly. It's been a while. The three of us have been together. We have a lot of guests that we've had recently and a lot lined up, but this is what we'll call an emergency podcast. And I just want to welcome the two of you back in the studio. Thank you, sir. Sean, nice to meet you. What? Kelly? Yeah. yeah. Okay. I've, I've seen you Listen, in uh, some of the other episodes. It's been like a month. Since I I've checked. Seen it you. was Memorial, Memorial Day was the last time you and I were in the same room together. I mean, it was kind of peaceful. <laughs> it was kind of a nice, tranquil, but uh, yeah, I missed you. I missed you. So you had a good time? It was a good trip. Good. Connecting with uh, family and friends. Uh, much much needed and uh, and much appreciated trip. Great. So un- unfortunately, we're going to have to put the small talk to the side. Oh. We have something dum, dum, dum. pretty serious today. You know, and first, I want to thank the Pennsylvania Coalition for Informed Consent for bringing this to my attention. I think it's seriousness of an issue that affects the United States as well as the UK. And for all parents of children and teens, this is of the utmost importance to you. The intrusion of public schools into the role of mental health gatekeepers is a concerning and dangerous development, in my opinion. Placing schools in this position risks transforming educational institutions into amateur mental health authorities, exacerbating students' problems rather than effectively addressing them. I don't know about you, but the last thing I want are my educational professionals in today's culture raising my kids. The shift towards school as gatekeepers undermines parents' rights to be actively involved in their children's mental health decisions, eroding the sacred foundation of family values and autonomy. Schools are the primary referrals for ADHD. They're hypervigilant to pathologizing normal developmental behaviors and are behind the scenes in pushing dangerous trends around psychiatric diagnoses, their version of mental health, disability, culture, and other fringe ideology that may be more harmful than helpful. So as they start moving into the mental health realm, it's been brought to my attention that the state of Pennsylvania is one of the first to be pushing a mental health app through the Department of Education or Health and Human Services to be targeting the mental health crisis. It's called Kuth, and Kuth markets itself as a free, safe, and anonymous online mental well-being community accredited by the British Association for Counseling and Psychotherapy that is targeting young people within the UK. And on October 11th, 2022, a $3 million grant was signed by Kuth U.S., and the Pennsylvania State Department of Human Services to pilot a digital mental health and well-being platform in 30 school districts across the Commonwealth. In participating 
School districts to students in grades 6 through 12 are able to sign up and access the platform for free. Currently, California is the only other state that has signed a contract with COOF. Unlike Pennsylvania, the state of California is recommending COOF to children through their State Department of Health, not through their schools. Uh, DHCS selected COOF to support the delivery of, and here's the word, equitable, appropriate, and timely behavioral health students to youth and young adults ages 13 to 25. COOF will also integrate with other partners to provide a seamless user experience, including providing services and supports to children 0 to 12 and their parents and caregivers. Kuth's online platform is anonymous. They use message boards, online chatting with Kuth members, access to a library that is customized to users' needs. I'll get into that more in a minute. And a journaling option. Kuth allows for peer-to-peer support and contact. Your child will essentially be communicating with random Kuth team members via text messaging that are not regulated by anything in the United States. So it could be a quote-unquote mental health specialist, which means nothing. Mm -hmm. Um, You have no idea what their background is. And so far we know that there's a lot to learn about Kuth, but so far we know that that Kuth is at best a social media platform that's geared toward uh, quote-unquote mental health and encourages youth to talk to strangers on the internet without parental consent so we know about screen time and social media as a primary factor driving poor mental health and so yes our public schools are on the verge of promoting more of this type of digital content and platforms to respond to the mental health crisis so are you comfortable with companies like Kuth data mining our minor children, without your knowledge, talking to strangers without your knowledge? Are you comfortable letting them talk to random kids on the web on a regular basis and being pushed and accessed into content around psychiatric diagnoses or gender identity? Do you want your kids on another platform and this one pushed by the school so first of all i find it very ironic that the number one issue we have is too much screen time and social media for our you know our adolescents and young kids and now the solution is to go back on the screen and you know have more screen time with an app that you know to me is going to be very dangerous sean this is a tech company yeah that's all it is correct and you can you explain to us your thoughts on this I, I will um because i reacted to it just like i believe many parents will who read headlines or see something on the news and on the surface you may say great fantastic that kids have been suffering over the last two or three years um we need some solutions i'm happy to see that you know my school district is taking some steps to improve the lives of our adolescents and our youth because it's a mess right now but I, I think we've had enough conversations in this room and we've had enough guests that have really pointed out where these can go wrong. And I think as, as a parent um, or a teacher, you need to start having conversations about how um, the possibility of doing more harm than good. I, I have a, a list of things that I just kind of like quickly wrote down in terms of where the red flags go up for me. And even as you know, running a business, there's a lot of it as well. Um, I want to get some things out out of the way because I was kind of alarmed, not alarmed, but I was really shocked. We know what's happening in terms of mental health as a business, but I looked at some venture capitalist information. There was a total of 35.2 million for mental health startups in 2011. 2020, it was 2.4 billion in funding. So let that just sit in for a little bit because this is one company that we're talking about, but there are going to be many others that are going to pop up. And they're all going to be marketing themselves under the very similar similar language of um, rolling it out under a public health crisis. There's a shortage of licensed clinical mental health therapists, and they're going to be marketing as they're providing a solution for those that are under diagnosed or under treated 
And they're going to start using a lot of technology to kind of fill that gap to help people get diagnosed and help them get treatment. So we know how Roger feels about this and he's going to, he's going to share a lot about that, the diagnosis system, which is, has its flaws. But um, <clears throat> in terms of this company, um, they are a public company. They had an IPO in August of 2020. They are traded on the London Stock Exchange. They have shareholders. Those shareholders want to see margins. You don't invest in companies unless you want to make money. So if you look at some of the business that exists out there for other mental health uh, apps, that means like roughly for every $100 that are spent on the app, probably about 30% would go to a provider or a therapist. If that is a human being, which that generally means that they are low quality, low performers, low skilled, and they just want to get a job and throwing more bodies at the problem is not the solution. It's actually the education of a quality clinician going through the training, constantly being trained, getting the education, getting your license. All those things require many hours and experience before you evolve into a quality clinician. I don't know who these people are. So I, I, have a, I've, I feel like it actually violates a lot of the laws in terms of your licensure status. So who is the people who are, who's having dialogue with these, with these students. Yeah. I think one of the things is I think you can bypass that by not calling it mental health treatment, but it, but isn't it, but it, it, when you talk about a mental well-being app that targets the mental health crisis, then that's exactly what they're doing. But I think it's, it, it's going to extend beyond that. So when you are talking about the business of mental health, yep. this goes back to things that I've said before and they want you sick and dependent, that means they make more money when you are sick and dependent. So the more people, and now we're talking about kids here, the more people that they can identify as needing mental health support, the better it is for their business, right? And they're going to justify this through what's being identified as a mental health crisis. I don't know if anyone remembers Rahm Emanuel, who was the uh, former Chicago. mayor of Chicago. He was also... I think um, chief, chief of staff, staff. for uh, Barack Obama. You, this is quote, you never want a serious crisis to go to waste. And what I mean by that is an opportunity to do things that you think you could not do before. That's a famous quote from Rahm Emanuel, a politician. And that's what they're going to do, folks. They are going to implement this. I mm -hmm. think they probably have some variability. But right now, I think the Philadelphia School District does not require parent permission all the way down to the age of 11 so most districts are the age of 14 you, you you don't have to have parent permission but billy's different yeah so let so let me explain that and i don't understand that. i don't need and i and think we're going to need to confirm that in the state of pennsylvania a 14 year old can consent into mental health care without a parent permission okay what's typical Outside the state of Pennsylvania, what other ages would it be? I don't know. Adult? I would. I, my, no, no. my gut would say like an 18-year-old can do it without. No, I have no idea, so okay. I don't even want to speculate. Okay. So if Pennsylvania, if you, can, if you can consent at 14, I can guarantee you other states have younger ages to consent. Now, the reason for that was for kids who were probably in abusive, neglectful environments okay. um, or other type of environments, being able to access a hospital or mental health care without having to contact the parent who might be, for all we know, abusive. Mm -hmm. I'm going to assume that that's part of the intentionality around it, right? But now you can take advantage of these laws that you can have uh, kids kind of sign up for these programs or these apps without having to get parental permission. And in our state, we've heard clinicians for decades misunderstanding and misrepresenting this law. This is about consent. It's not about privacy and confidentiality. If you're a clinician and you're working with a minor, it's very difficult to do effective work without integrating that within the family. And so it would be a rare situation where you're keeping stuff from, from a family. Um, obviously, there needs to be some degree of privacy in a therapy relationship to build up a trust with a teenager, but anything major should be certainly discussed within the context of a family. So just because a 14-year-old can consent without parent permission doesn't mean that these confidentiality laws protect uh, them fr from having any communication with their parents regarding this. Now, we all know that parents 
should be monitoring the social media use of their children and have access to their phones and so forth. So that in itself can try to mitigate some of this. But, you know, that's not going to happen. And they're going to target the most vulnerable of people. Um, I just wanted to break down the idea first of this is all text message communications. You know how incredibly difficult it is to understand context and emotion in a text message? Yes. Think about how many times that we in our own lives have misinterpreted the message of a text message. And when you talk about a mental health situation where maybe a teenager is appearing to be in a crisis, we know that even as when we were teenagers and, and for your children, they can be overly dramatic in a situation that is really not that significant. Well, because we know that from brain development. But right? we also know that based on the nonverbal cues and being around your children, you can see how they're acting. But the words that they're using, the words are, take those words and put them into a text message form. How does somebody on the other side understand what's happening? Well, they wouldn't. And, and teenagers, obviously, they are notoriously impulsive yeah. and emotional. And that, that goes, we've had these discussions about brain development, mm -hmm. right? We've lost our sense of what is normal in adolescent development. And so this is taking advantage of of a vulnerable age group to monetize, to financially benefit from it. Uh, these apps like Kuth or the other ones that Sean says are probably in development and are being pushed, they are not here to benefit your mental health. It's a crock of shit. They are here to keep you attached to their platform. And I personally believe there's probably other ideological messages involved in this that they're trying to communicate. And that's why you're going to see the blue states adopt this first under the disguise of evidence-based mental health care. And listen, this is not evidence-based mental health care, even though Kuth is pushing it. We've tried to warn you against how they're using that language and those words to be able to push something under the disguise of science. There's nothing scientific about this. Right? And sometimes this is just about, I think, restoring our own sanity and connection to common sense. We do not want our kids seeking out mental health treatment on a phone from a stranger. And certainly you don't want a 12-year-old educated on ADHD. Because all you're going to do is you're going to drive their attention inward. And they're going to start, like everyone else does, over-pathologizing something is normal. I think I have ADHD. I think I'm depressed. I think I'm, uh, I'm binary, right? This is just going to happen the more you put their eyes onto these things. And so, Kelly, I mean, the thing that I, I, it's been a while since I've been in the school system. I saw it percolating way back then. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I've, I've always seen that schools every year are like on the cutting edge of some new trend that somebody's, uh, someone's trying to bring into the schools around social engineering. Yeah, and it, this, again, Pennsylvania purchases through a block grant. Is that correct? So they gave the company that money, and now they're going to offer it free to 30 districts over, you know, and they're going to do a pilot program for this next year. Um, and many districts had already began. And so what you see is that kind of technological trend in education. It just kind of pops in and everybody just embraces it and this is going to be the next solution, everything. The problem is, is that we're basically using a social media company to enhance a further problem, which is children's addiction to social media. And, and mo most of that is coming down to the idea that we have a mental health crisis. And this is the only way. It's a resource. I've, I've watched the politicians talk about it. It's up in Luzerne County. Uh, the actual, and did you know this, um, this company is now going to be headquartered in 40 Fort. Yeah. So I know that. Yeah. In the state of Pennsylvania. And so the CEO and, and all the, the lawmakers are up there like, look at, we're bringing in jobs. We're bringing in, look at what we're doing here. This is great economics and, and it's going to solve all of mental health problems. Because one thing they did say, like you said earlier, we lack the resources. We lack uh, counselors. We lack good, trained, well-trained people. There's just not enough. They talked about how kids could be in line for six to nine months without, you know, seeing someone in person. So this, this is the solution. An app, a social media app is going to solve your problems.
And I'll be the first to tell you, I think what's also going to drive the mental health crisis is driving more and more kids to mental health professionals. No doubt. I, that must sound crazy coming from a clinical psychologist, but I know how they're being trained. I know what's happening in these rooms. I know the diagnostic system and driving someone to a psychiatric drug. One of, there's two reasons. There are absolutely two major reasons why we have a mental health crisis in the United States. One of them is addiction to phone. Right? That is a very complicated and problematic experience that is moving kids, young people away from everything that's going to provide so sound mental health. And that means your, your focus, your attention, and your energy outward into service, into community, into sports, into arts, into activity, into creating, into your academics. The more you spend looking at nonsense on that phone, scrolling and comparing yourself to others is going to drive insecurity and misery, right? So that's one primary and major driving factor for poor mental health for teens. Another piece of this is actually how we respond to mental health problems in the United States. We do not understand normal developmental problems. We're hypervigilant. We're throwing out diagnoses. We drive them to Physicians who are going to put them on dangerous psychiatric drugs that don't have safety and efficacy, boom, that's two right there. Now you're also then identifying through that label. And we're, and we're moving further away from everything that we know from generations that support purpose and well-being in our lives. Right? So the most important thing that I think parents have to understand is you have to get involved locally yeah. in your schools. Yep. Schools are there not to raise your kids. You do not want some of these teachers and these professionals who are educated in the academic system of the United States with some of this ideology to be the ones shaping vulnerable young minds and how to think about very complex issues, especially around health, gender, purpose, and other things. Like That's not who you want doing that. You want that happening in your own home. This is TikTok all over again. Right? This is TikTok, which is driving kids to be able to think about things through this restricted lens. And now you know, you're putting it under the disguise of, of, of mental health treatment. I, um, as I was reading uh, about this, I started thinking about uh, our discussion with uh, Rob uh, Wipon mm -hmm. in terms of um, the forced hospitalization. And this app says it's anonymous. Um, it's not. Yeah, it's definitely it, not. It's not anonymous because the um, the process, if a child appears to be suicidal or says things through the app, is to report that information to the school. So that means that your your son or your daughter could break up with a boyfriend or a girlfriend and say, "I hate my life. I want to die," which they'll say and they not mean, which not is exactly me. what you were talking yeah, about. So, before. like, context is important. Yeah, language is important. Interpretation is important, and you can't do that through a text message. So. If a child wants to engage with this app to vent, to blow off some steam, to look for maybe a, a little bit of um, community support, that information will then be shared with the school and then that person will be called into the school and possibly prevented from entering the school because they might think that they're not safe or they're not well. Now, you take some of the other discussions. I believe it was the, the Rob Wipon discussion about um, your... Uh, your, your, is it, what's the, um, your, is it your API, not your API, but your, your URL, um, at home, uh, when you're using IP, IP, thank you. Your IP address, your location data will be in that app. They'll know, they'll know where you are. So if it is a crisis situation or someone interprets the words you're using, even if it's not a human being, but it could just be an AI reading your words, it could send police to that location because they think you might be in a crisis situation when, it could just be you venting. So it, I, all these like red flags started coming up. So for me as a parent, if I found out that my school was participating in, participating in this program, I would want somebody to clearly state that all of my child's information is private and will not be sold and will not be provided to anyone outside that platform. And I would probably tell my child not to use it because I don't trust a damn thing that would be put into these platforms. Oh, you no definitely doubt. tell your kids not to use this. <laughs> you resist this. Everyone yeah. out there who's in the state of Pennsylvania or California or many of the other states where this is about to come up for discussion in your, uh, in your state governments, 
resist this. It is not private data. Yeah. So you're, if your kid, and, th- and listen, there's reasons why we don't have like 14-year-olds driving cars or 16-year-olds drinking alcohol, right? It's because of that impulsivity. It's part of what we have to like developmentally be aware of what they're vulnerable to. That's why I talk to parents. It's like kind of like walking a dog, right? When you're walking a dog, you have them on a leash. They have to explore, right? You let them explore. But if they run into traffic, you yank that chain back. And that's kind of parents with teenagers, right? They have to be able to explore the world and you can't be hovering over anything, but we can't let them run and dart into traffic, right? This is people who are not involved with your kid's life making decisions on who they can talk to, who they can't talk to, the content of those conversations, right? All without your permission. So if you're okay with having your your kids explore um, the 50 different genders that they can identify with or uh, the possibility that they have a psychiatric illness or a lot of the other difficult questions around, around growth, development, maturity, and you have no idea who that person is. It could be some 21-year-old who has a specific agenda or it could also be a vulnerable opportunity for predators and other people who want contact with your own children. Bottom line is we have to be able to take steps to, to protect the privacy of our own homes mm-hmm. and, the, and the, the legitimacy of, uh, of our parental values in being able to guide how our kids live. And I think that's problematic. I've spoken on here before that with the expert culture that has arisen in the United States, many parents have kind of lost confidence and developed some fear that someone else knows what's better for their own children. The problem is, is we're just at the starting point. And it's going to, the rhetoric around this is what I'm concerned about. We talk, I, I brought it up so many times. It's so important, critical thought. But like right here, when Philadelphia announced uh, Philadelphia School District, the big poster said confidential online mental health support that's at no cost. The rhetoric behind this is just beginning. So we are talking about something that people should know and, and absolutely, but most people are just seeing that. Does that make sense? Like they're seeing the beginning and they're like, yeah, but it's got to be good. Like it's, it, it doesn't cost us anything. It's going to help. They're, we're, we're, oh. And not a, not a month goes by where a venture capitalist doesn't contact me about trying to sell our practice. Mental health is big business. So they are certainly going to want to drive your attention and your attention is a commodity. So remember this. They want your attention and your to be focused on things that will drive your dependence to their platform. Now, what do we know about core principles of sound mental health? The more we focus on ourselves, this narcissistic self-focus will only create misery. Those who are doing best in their lives are not ruminating over every perceived slight or anxiety that you have. When, when you're involved and you're connected with others, now social connection is so important, but through a phone, anyone who's sitting together and just focusing on everything that's wrong with their life is going to drive more misery. So where your attention goes, your energy flows. The last thing folks you want is kids focusing on how everything is wrong with them. I I just want to, I want to share something as I was reading this uh, summary. So, um, you know, I worked in marketing for, for many years and anytime we had a a new product launch or whatever, we, the marketing was always like, you break it down this way. Like what's the problem? How does the problem agitate the situation? What's the solution? Or sometimes if you got a product, it's like, what's the unmet consumer need? And how does our product differentiate itself from the competition to you know, satisfy that unmet need? So when we talk about what's happening right now in the mental health field, um, there is definitely a shortage of, of quality licensed clinicians, but the language being put out there now is about um, social justice. It's an issue. So I found this quote from Thomas Insel, your buddy, um, who used to be a former head of the NIMH. And he said, and this came out September 10th, 2022, which 
coincidentally might coincide with the date of this grant because uh, I, I feel like you you started off saying when the grant was. But I'll, I'll read this while you look it up. October 2022. Okay, so the crisis of care is more than a medical challenge. It's a social justice issue. The increase in suicide and incarceration of people with mental illness demonstrates that we are in the Jim Crow phase of America's embrace of mental health. Separate and unequal hashtag suicide prevention. So that idea of su- of social justice, um, I would say, and and this is just my gut, that the fact that this is rolled out in Philadelphia is not a coincidence, but a strategic attempt uh, from this company to market it as a solution for the problem that has been identified by those in the industry. I don't think the people at Cooth necessarily are experts in mental health, but I think they're probably experts at developing a platform and then having the content in there act as a quote unquote solution to the problem. So it's just, it, it, it sparked all these issues of marketing. And then when I was reading some of the things and the tactics that they're using to roll this out. So the school district of Philadelphia is running a Cooth summer wellness campaign and are enticing students to sign up and be active in the program so they can earn points for their school. Whichever school earns the most points will earn a visit from a Cooth ambassador and Philadelphia Eagle Lane Johnson. Where- that is like, they were talking about mental health issues and you're encouraging people to engage in the platform. That's like what credit card companies used to do on campuses mm. to give you a free Frisbee if you signed up. That's like, that's crap. I'm sorry. It's predatory. It is. And I'll tell you what, we have to find a way to get in touch with Lane Johnson because he's being used. Right. He is being used because of his own struggle with mental health. And you know what his struggle with mental health was? It was withdrawal from an antidepressant. And so you're, you're going to have kids engage with this in order to get a visit to their school by Lane Johnson, an NFL football player, and he doesn't even understand how he is being targeted and used. And if he, if anyone out there can get this to uh, Lane Johnson or his representatives, you know, understand that uh, this is not something you would support if you had a greater awareness of this. Because you seem to be a good man. We're Philadelphia Eagles fans here. Yep, yep. You know, we know a lot about your background. Go back to my first statement when we started this. On the surface, great. This seems like a solution to the problem, but that's just good marketing. That's having a, a well thought out plan to appear as if it's going to do good, that it's solving problems. And so, you know what the um, the irony of, of all this? Uh, the own, our own U.S. Surgeon General, I think he was Vivek the, Murthy. Yeah, he was the previous one. He's not current Surgeon General. He might have been a previous Surgeon General. He states the most common. This is a quote from him: "The most common question parents ask me." Is social media safe for my kids? And the answer is that we don't have enough evidence to say it's safe. And in fact, there's a growing evidence that social media use is associated with harm to young persons' mental health. We are in the middle of a national youth mental health crisis. I'm concerned that social media is an important driver of that crisis, and we must urgently address this. So why are we allowing schools to educate our children with laptops and tablets? Why are we trying to address the mental health problem caused by social media and other social media platforms that don't have any evidence to suggest they solve it at all. Why are we increasing it with more social media platforms? That's what I, that's what I said earlier. That's the irony of everything. And don't forget about, we talked about this in the podcast, social contagion is huge when we talk about the ideologies that are spread on social media and all the different things that the kids see. You're an 11, a nine-year-old, whatever. You're watching all these things. It These ideas do spread. And something as easy as you know a commercial that you saw, are you feeling sad? Are you feeling alone? Like those things spread more rapidly with social media. And I, I would believe that that is much more of, of, of a problem than a kid actually going through depression. Like I just can't stand, I can't stand that we're going to use an app for mental health. It just bothers me. Well, I feel for parents because I, you know, I think we're at this unique transition point in Western culture and even world history because there's such an awakening right now about what's been tra- driving poor health. And there has been this, this trust with all the medical authorities that has just you know been breaking down over the last few years with, with COVID. And it's just more information is brought to our attention about how we can't trust the professionals that we need to rely on for health and, and mental health. And it's just creating such a distrust. And I don't know where we, we turn when major American institutions have 
been corrupted. And a lot of this information that we're being sold, it's certainly targeting the most vulnerable of our population. So people, a lot of people have big hearts, want to do the right thing. So if you are, if you do care about social justice issues, which we all do, obviously something that are like, I think important to every human being that has a conscious, but it's being, we're being manipulated into all this. We're being manipulated into dividing against each other and them trying to sell you something to solve the problem. Okay. I've spent my life trying to understand how people and young people can live well and to understand the challenges of being human. And it's been distorted the last 30 years. It's being distorted to serve an industry. And now with big tech, it's going to be part of a social credit system, big surveillance. It already is. You can lose your rights. You can lose your freedom and your liberty by an expert identifying you as mentally ill. Same thing can happen to your kids. They can remove kids from your custody, parents, if a quote-unquote expert, a medical authority, has reason to believe that your child is a danger to themselves or somebody else. And how can they determine that danger? Well, that's, you know, that, that's pretty strong evidence on a platform like Couth if they are stating some things that certainly are part of the normal lexicon for teenagers and adolescents really there's not a lot of meaning behind it it's just a teenager being a teenager remember you were grounded and my parents are holding me against my will yeah they're keeping me here they're not letting me outside of the house or sometimes they just <laughs> like like you you'll see teens just say oh my god you make me want to kill myself yeah right they course. say these things yep. all right and we already know the power of language totally right like so no one says sad anymore i'm depressed so all that a kid has to do is on this platform type to some you know, mental health specialist and just say, you know, I'm really depressed. And now you're, now you're feeding a narrative. You're the, creating the one. The problem is, is they're not going to be specialists. Most likely. So in business, how, how can, can I, they be there if they're not licensed? Can I, am it, I wrong in stating that any word. corporation that gets that large, particularly tech could just sit there and say, oh, we have an ambassadorship. We have a practitioner and all you have to do is, you know, I don't know, watch this half hour video and you're suddenly boom, you're certified company certified is called, right? You mean company certified in things. They're, they're, they're called practitioners, right? They're not called doctors. They're not called. So there are these practitioners, there are these ambassadors. And my question is, if, who, are you, who are you talking to on the other end? And you say, well, it's a practitioner. It sounds like an expert. But who, why aren't they like showing us who these people are? They're, they went on their website. They just have like really ba almost like AI generated. It probably like, is. It is AI generated. AI generated bios and all of their bios say things like, um, I, I love cats and I, you know, like weird it, stuff. Yeah. Like a pedophile would, would, would use it, that you know, online and, to be able yeah. to target a young kid. I just my, don't. My, and they're using like kids language. Yeah. Isn't that weird? Yeah. So I'm just very concerned that anybody listening and you go and you do this app and you're like, well, you know, I mean, hey, it's free. It's it's a resource, but who the hell are you talking to? Just be aware of that. And then Sean's right. They're going to gather all your data, and it's all going to go into the AI generators, and they're gonna they're gonna end up telling you exactly what you want to hear every single time you go on that app. Yeah, every single time. Yeah, which is just going to create an addictive or dependent like quality to it. Philip K. Dick said this. I love this quote. The basic tool for the manipulation of reality is the manipulation of words. If you can control the meaning of words, you can control the people who must use the words. So, you know, evidence-based mental health care, right? Solving the mental health crisis, social justice, uh, anti-vax, anti-trans, right? So like, why do I have concerns about the gender ideology? Not because I'm anti-trans, because I have genuine concern about what it does to a young, vulnerable person at this stage in development. There is a large movement of detransitioners who were pushed into this through an ideology and had permanent medical care. This is, out of, this is, this is out of love. This isn't out of hate. But if you 
have any discussions around this complex and nuanced issue, and you even view it from a scientific standpoint, you're just going to be labeled and pushed outside their circle as if you're some bigot or hated person. And I think like that's the important thing of well-meaning people out here who are speaking out on this is the last thing you want is a 13-year-old determining that they're no longer female. We have to somehow get reconnected back into just some common sense. Sorry, um, you brought up these um, meet the team. So I'm just reading through a couple of these. First off, the, you can't call yourself a senior practitioner and counselor with a numbers of years of experience and spell counselor wrong. Yeah, I saw time. that. <laughs> but then I th- but then I was like, but it's in a, it might have been in, is it in England? No, they, uh, it's still counselor right? there. Yeah. I saw it's, that. It's still, still spelled incorrectly. And um, I don't know. I don't, do you go to, um, love going to um, music gigs? <laughs> Sorry, I just, I don't, I don't believe that all this is, is no. real. I just, I think it's, although I, it says there's 147 team members, but. It doesn't matter. This because, could be global. So one quick thing, going back to you, the next little step, right, we, is to then, okay, this app takes off and people are using it widespread. I mean, 100,000 students use it. So the company ends up making money. They sign the contract. So right now it's on a grant. So there's no money, as you said but the company, but then they, they decide to sign contracts because they're like, this really works, right? They convince themselves that it does. The you market always goes through. make something look like it works. <laughs> it will there or will there not be? It will just go to complete AI generation in responses. As a, as a technology because business where you have enough information, uh, you can easily make the case that in these situations, this is the correct type of language to use because it's text message based. Sure. You don't need a human being on the other side. Actually, a human being on the other side will actually cause problems and not be as effective. So you would just have enough data and information to have the appropriate response based on what that person is portraying or representing uh, based on all the information you have for that individual. So yeah, you'd get rid of all those people and then you'd improve your margins significantly. So you'd eventually be talking to an avatar, a made-up personality that generates AI responses that tells you everything you want to hear, and, yeah. you, and you keep using the app. Well, I, I would question the effectiveness of that for a teenager if they realize that they're chatting with uh, a bot because there's no emotion there, there's nobody listening, and if you really need an ear or someone to speak with, why not just go into chat GPT, start having a conversation there? And you don't have to worry about your information being captured. Is, is this ever going to end, Roger, where they're medicalizing all awkward situations of adolescence, like, you know, issues and problems that arise as natural over the course of history? Is this ever going to end or is it just going to keep growing? Well, we have to stop it. Um, as long as somebody can financially benefit from it, it's going to continue to grow. And that's why you see venture capitalists involved in the mental health game right now. And I'm calling it a game because... They are, they are gaming the lives of, of young people because they're most vulnerable. If you can create customers for life, and that's what the pharmaceutical company learned. If you could start identifying mental illness early and put them on a regimen of drugs, you're creating long-term customers. And that's what they're trying to do with our children. Because if you want to create mental health problems, if you want to generate them, you first have to create a reality around it. And that's the one thing about us as human beings is we can create our own versions of reality in our minds. And so if you can create this idea for a suggestible, vulnerable kid that they are oppressed, that they are different than everybody else, that they can find solace and community with this identification or this illness and this can justify any of the challenges that they might be experiencing as a young person well now you are creating and building a reality around who they are and that will make them miserable it is why we have a generation that finds it difficult to cope with the day-to-day aspects of living because living is hard And so if you really do fragilize young people early enough and you get them hooked on technology and you get them hooked on ideas, then they are controlled. I have have one more connection because you've spoken about fear. And the other area of fear that they put into parents is around safer schools. 
I can easily see this evolving to the next stage in terms of a safer school initiative saying that they were able to intervene in multiple situations to prevent potential situations from happening in a school. What they'll do then is then roll it out nationally, but they never go back and they look at the individual's life who has been impacted by a non-serious threat. And we do know that um, once you get that label, that label can stick with you and it can follow you around. And it could potentially ruin a child's life into adulthood in terms of trying to find a job, establish a career because of a situation at a school at a young age. I just have a whole bunch of red flags that I would encourage any family to just avoid using this tool whatsoever. I had a press conference up and I believe it was Luzerne County. One of the uh, Pennsylvania legislators said, and it's not a quote, but basically told the story that in Philadelphia, uh, they were able to uh, mitigate 20 incidents were avoided due to this application. Well, there you go. So they're already using, you know, somehow that as part of this. Remember Jack Dorsey, do I have that name right? The originator of Twitter? Yes, yeah, that's him. I uh, listened to him on a podcast, Russell Brand podcast, and I thought some things were very interesting. Russell Brand, yeah. I love listening to Russell Brand. <laughs> He's an interesting guy. He's very interesting. <laughs> um, but I love his message. You know, and I think he's a, he, I think he's attentive to the right things, but they were talking about the need for systems to have to be rebuilt. Uh, and it, and I do believe that there is a, an inequity in, in, in the word if that exists, but that's generally like the top 1%. They control a lot of things about the financial sector, about the messaging, our politicians, the pharmaceutical industry, right? This, the, the, the institutions that have to be rebuilt are only going to occur at the local level. So although there are certainly messages of one global kind of rule, uh, uh, trying to push inequity as the reason for that, true equity and true democracy and true freedom is only going to be able to occur at the small community-based level. So they were talking about the need for systems to be able to be rebuilt under small communities. So you can't have this global or even federal oversight. And if you are paying attention to what's happening in the United States, I don't want to throw around the word civil conflict or civil war, but you'd have to be blind not to pay attention to what is actually happening and what our own politicians are purposely doing. Mm. Right. And so we come in here and I'm concerned about the overreach of the government and institutions and people who are just blindly kind of following that authority. Public schools being one of them. There's a lot of fear in public schools. There's fear of litigation. There's fear of doing the wrong thing. There's fear of school shooting. Like fear controls all. Fear is the way to control human behavior. And a lot of, a lot of teachers have been uh, conditioned by fear. Fear of, of test scores not being high enough. Fear of missing something of, of a kid that would be a red flag. That's what I always saw when I was working in the, in the schools. Like there was just this vigilance intense, to anything that in, could go wrong. Yep, intense focus on things that could go wrong during the day for a lot of educators, right? Yep. And then how did that affect their jobs? I mean, they would magnify and catastrophize normal situations. Sure. They became an anxious mess themselves right? And everything became so rule-based. Yep. And that's what you're seeing with them entering into the mental health world is they've already been conditioned with fear. So now they believe they're on the front lines and they have a role and responsibility in being able to do something that was never asked for by them. But public schools are controlled on the local level. So when you ask what you can do, you vote for your school boards. Yep. Mm -hmm. You have power as an individual when you pay taxes in your local school community. Now, Philadelphia is a much bigger entity, right? So that's not so small. But a lot of this is Northeast Pennsylvania. It is. And there's going to be a lot of states that are going to be up for this, that they're going to push that into schools. Um, I think I had something here. If you can give me one second to find the other states that are going to be involved... Okay. According to uh, representatives from Cooth, they are also in talks with Kentucky, Illinois, Arizona, New York, Kansas, and Missouri. So trust me, 
United States. This is for all of you. Any connection in any of those states? Like just them? Don't know. This is according to representatives from Couth. I am reading from informedconsentpa.org. I really do uh, encourage people to go to their website. So this is going to be be a national issue, but remember, all politics are local, especially in school boards, right? So be actively involved because when you're not looking, this is what they're trying to slip in there. Keep your school board officials accountable. Make sure, make sure that there is an alert to all constituents. Please make sure that you are attentive to what your teachers are teaching. I think we do have a responsibility to maintain our, our, our privacy and Freedom is really, really important. Constitutional freedoms and and liberty. And we have to be very vigilant to when major institutions and government institutions are starting to creep closer into the private lives of the citizens. And children are our most vulnerable. We have to protect them. We have to protect them from ideas that are harmful, from interventions that are harmful, under the disguise of scientific legitimacy. And that's what these mental health apps are. They're predatory. I want to use that word again. They are predatory. They are going to get your child engaged into their platform. And there's going to be messages communicated in that platform that you don't want your kids exposed to. And unless you're paying attention to what is happening in your schools, this can all be done without your permission. Please be involved. Thank you. Listening to a podcast may be therapeutic, but it is not therapy. Always seek the advice of your mental health professional. If you are in a crisis or you think you have an emergency, call your doctor or 911. If you are considering suicide, call 1-800-273-TALK to speak with a skilled, trained counselor. If you found this podcast interesting, please share it with a friend, subscribe through your podcast app, and engage with us through our social channels. And if you are concerned about a friend or family member, reach out. The six magic words, I was just thinking about you, may make their day. Thank you for listening.